right. Welcome back, everybody, uh, to the MindWorks podcast with Kevin and Andre. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about some interesting stuff that we've been reading online and uh, some interesting studies based around depression and the myth of chemical imbalances in the brain. Now, this is actually going to be an interesting conversation because uh, back in July 2022, there was an article that was published basically sort of denouncing the idea that depression is caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain. A uh, very interesting article. It talks about, I guess, you know, serotonin and certain neurotransmitters that are in the brain that do cause, um, that are, were known to cause depression and things like that. But, um, yeah, today we're going to like look into that and talk about it. So I don't know, Kevin, what were your ideas or what were your thoughts about the article that you saw online about this whole concept? I, I think the concept of um, serotonin deficiency, depression, um, it's new. And I think that's something that we should really be thinking about because of the history of it and the research. And I think having new research and having modern day technologies to um, advances in these fields it's, it's going to cause a lot of old beliefs to um, to end, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think with that is, you know, we see parallel to this is um, the legalization and the medical use of cannabis, marijuana, right? Where we're seeing more research as well. And also out in Europe, they're doing a lot more research with psychedelics, psychedelic and therapy. And, you know, that's also relatively new. So I think... You know, as the field of psychology, as a field of psychopharmaceuticals, as a field of um, everything else, biology and all the sciences really um, advance. I think we're going to see a lot of new things come up. So I, it's actually the, the, the article itself is quite interesting, right, about the serotonin levels. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, what, what are the parameters and what are the other things that come with that research as well? Well, you know, just just to also uh, identify that, like, um, I've also taught uh, research psychology, and um, that class was probably, I hate that class. Hate <laughs> that you. class is so annoying. <laughs> it's just like, it's kind of hard to make it kind of interesting. You know, when you got to teach about certain research methods and things like that, it's kind of like teaching a statistics class. But, um, yeah, I... Uh, I taught that class a couple times and I taught it at one point in um, during COVID, like in the middle of the semester, you know, COVID happened and uh, we had to switch everything from in-person learning to remote learning. Yeah. So, you know, I was struggling with that process as a teacher and, um, you know, <laughs> I actually got really bad reviews on Rate My Professor yeah. for that semester on that class. Because, um, yeah, I guess I just wasn't doing the greatest job teaching remotely. I, I don't know if any other uh, adjuncts or teachers got right. pretty uh, bad rating after that semester, after that, after the pandem pandemic. But, um, yeah, it happened to me. And, uh, yeah, some uh, a couple students left some really fucked up comments yeah. on that shit. And, you know, once, I once again, a big, I forgot. I forgot a, big, a big, big fuck you to yeah. the students. Yeah, <laughs> like, I got to read that. Like, that's mad fucked up. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, 
uh, have some empathy for crying out loud. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we were all going through some shit. Right. There was a fucking pandemic. People were dying. Right. Um, but sure. yeah, so I kind of struggled with that. But just to put that out there, you know, I did teach research methods. So, I, you know, looking at the article itself, you know, I did notice a few things within the article that um, stood out to me. And, you know, I think you mentioned the other day that a word that stood out to you in the actual news article was the word likely, mm-hmm. right? Like likely right. to be a myth, right? And when you look at the research article, like the what the research article is, just to give you guys an explanation so you guys understand, it's an umbrella study. And that means that they took a whole bunch of meta-analysis studies and they combined it to see what the data was actually going to say. So like, what is a meta-analysis? For those of you that don't know, a meta-analysis study is a, is a accumulation of studies that uh, researchers have done. And somebody who does a meta-analysis study takes all these studies and basically overlooks the data to find, I guess, uh, a more concrete answer to whatever they're looking for. Mm -hmm. You know, so a meta-analysis is basically getting all this data and then analyzing it on a meta level, like on a bigger level, on a bigger scale, and then kind of coming up with some sort of uh, conclusion. So when you look at the study, actually, it does say um, a few interesting things, even in the results section. So it does say that some of these studies were actually kind of uh, limited and there were a lot of confounding variables that could have skewed that data. So this is the thing about science and research. Number one, Science is always changing, right? So there is a subjective level, a, su- a subjective level in science, which is kind of interesting when you think about it, because, you know, every medical professional, every medical uh, field, they, you know, turn to science for answers, right? So, you know, it's just like sort of to be wary of scientific uh, findings and things like that, and just be mindful that there is a bit of subjectivity, you know, researchers biased confounding variables, all these things that can actually skew the data and make people, and you know, you put out an article like this, people are going to go crazy. You know, people are going to be like, oh my God, so I was on like antidepressants. So you're telling me it doesn't work. No, that's not the case. Actually, in my own clinical experience, I do understand that like medicine actually has been helpful Mm -hmm. uh, when I work with clients in a combination of, you know, them taking the medicine and then taking the therapy. Does just taking medication work? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Is it is it my is it my clinical skills that are working more than the medication is? I would love to say that, and I would love to brag about that all day. But that's something psychology that, in a nutshell. Yeah, exactly. It's very subjective, and it also really depends on the client, depends on the person, right. depends on the therapist, depends on the psychiatrist, depends on so many different factors. So I mean, I, I'm not really 100 percent on board with the idea that the chemical imbalance thing is a myth. Um. I have been teaching Psych 101 for like, Mm -hmm. what, like six, seven years already. And, um, you know, every time we get to that chapter of like Mm -hmm. the brain and the biology of the brain, I always, you know, present that information. Like, you know, there's a section where these are the neurotransmitters and these are what they're known to do. Right. And then low amounts of that can cause this. Right. So, hey, who knows? Now I have to question my own knowledge from the textbooks and the science itself because of this article and basically present it now in a different way moving forward. Right. So, like, you know, science does change. And I think it's uh, important that people can understand that. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you can't trust science. It's just understand the fact that science is pretty dynamic. Yeah. And it's interesting because I'm before my my time as in, in mental health counseling and school counseling, um, I was studying actuarial science, right? And that whole thing is about probability, statistics, looking at numbers, looking at likelihood of events happening. Um, and 
equally this research section of psychology i absolutely hate um mm. the words the the this the, uh, it's it's not for me right but you know i think that the word likely the reason it stood out to me is because when someone says likely that means in my head instantly i'm like all right likely not and mm. you know i think that science a lot of times what it says is all right it's probable so we're gonna say it's definite and they do that where it's like it's subjective but we're gonna objectify it right um and last time we were having a conversation i gave an example of like the cheerio boxes it says reduces cholesterol by 33 percent right and or whatever it is it, there's this always this label of what it can do like it doesn't do it 100 percent of the time more than likely not right they probably did a study somewhere um, who knows what parameters that study had, and it could probably came up like one percent, you know, increase decrease in cholesterol, and now they're making a more general claim. And I think for the everyday person who does not have the history of you know actual science or research or um, really being able to kind of uh, think under, I wanted to say think on their own, but able to think. Um, more analytically, more critically, more logically, um, and then just and ha- be able to perceive things differently, um, you know, you can kind of fall for a lot of claims that are yeah. out there. And I think that this, not, a, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I think serotonin levels and dopamine levels and all these receptors and neurotransmitters, I think they actually have a big part to do with it. Like, I always compare our bodies to a car. Mm. Right. And just like you uh, compared, uh, (laughs) I guess, uh, being in a relationship to having like a a, a Maserati, like you always see it. You always see the Lamborghini and think you'd want that, too. Uh, (laughs) Did I tell you that once? (laughs) Holy cow. Yeah, that's that's a a whole different conversation. That's for the the third episode. That's for the third episode. (laughs) But, you know, I, I, this is my analogy, right? Like, like, we're, we're, this is like our, our car, right? And our heart is the engine and our brain is our transmission. And we're in these cars and we're driving them around and, you know, we have to feed it water, we have to give it food, we have to rest it. Um, and also with that, there's all the cables. If you look at the engines and all that stuff, um, you know, they send each other signals and, you know, that's how a car moves and it, it that's how it survives. So I do believe that just like a car, there's a sensor fault or there's a, a cable that's, you know, not working properly or there's a clog in, in one of the uh, pipes or whatever, you know, is you're, you're not going to be as efficient. You're not going to work as smoothly. So I think, yes, I, I'm personally, I think serotonin level does play a part still. Um, does it play such a part where, you know, they're making it the cause of depression or I I don't know. I think like you said, everyone's different. Yeah. That, that research article is more geared towards like the idea of chemical imbalances, right? Like, so like, what does that, what does that even mean? Right? Like a chemical imbalance, like, you know, are you talking about like serotonin chemical imbalances, like low serotonin levels, which I think they were talking about Mm. low serotonin levels and low levels of dopamine, these other neurotransmitters and stuff, but specifically serotonin. Um, and they saw that, you know, in the data, if you look at it, yes, there is, there is data that does show in these meta-analysis that, yeah, serotonin levels, and I think it was like on a genetic component mm. and um, just the chemical itself didn't have anything to do with, associate with the feelings of depression, mm-hmm. you know? So it was a very interesting study. So like, it's something just to look more into, but 100% to say that 
chemical imbalances don't exist is not, you can't really, I feel like you can't really do that. You know, you kind of right. have to like, maybe it is, maybe you have to go further into the research. You have to find more objective so studies. The, like, I'm sorry. So the, so the research said serotonin specifically, not so much generally general chemicals. Yeah. It was talking it, more so about serotonin. serotonin. Like if you look at the study, it was talking a lot more about the serotonin, even like the genetic components of mm-hmm. the serotonin genetics, like H1068, genetic code for serotonin had these levels whatever it was it's a very complicated article to really read and understand but if you sit there and you actually read it you can understand it after a while of reading it mm-hmm. um but you know kind of have to like be equipped with the skills to read like research kind of because it does right. get kind of uh, hectic when you when, when you read an article like that very wordy yeah it's very wordy and just like all numbers are thrown out all these like uh words that you know are from you know research methods and stuff so it's interesting to have that knowledge to understand the research studies so yeah definitely take a research methods class uh but not mine because supposedly (laughs) it's not the best class (laughs) all right so yeah so basically um you know that that's the whole idea with the research article uh in my once again just talking about my clinical experience um you know just from my own experience, not to generalize this to the, you know, the population or whatever, it's just that like every time I've had a client who suffered from depression or anxiety, like severely, and they went on the medication, um, a lot of them, you know, one, one thing I do want to say about um, antidepressants is that they're not like happy pills, mm. you know, they're, they're not meant to make people like happy, right? Like you don't take a pill and you're like, oh my God, I feel great. It actually does like kind of like... Um, it kind of does like a neutral, it has like a neutral standpoint from what my clients report to me is that they always tend, once they start getting on these antidepressants like Prozac or Zoloft or whatever, um, you know, they tell me things like, I, I don't feel happy, but I don't feel sad as hell either. I kind of just feel numb. Yeah. So like these medications are pretty numbing, but as a therapist, I see that numb feeling as a whole to actually go in and work on this individual's problems because why because i noticed that you know a lot of times i do this all the time when i work with my clients is you know i tell them like you know they ask me all the time hey what do you think about um antidepressants and i'm just like well you know i'm not a psychiatrist and i'm not trying to get any uh insurance i'm not trying to be liable or like lose my license and telling you these things but you definitely have to talk to a psychiatrist about that but what i can say is my experiences in working with people who have taken the antidepressants but i can't give any medical advice right Mm -hmm. so um you know i tell them that like uh i always do this all the time like i'll tell people they come in and they're really iffy about taking medication so i'm like all right let's Let's work on the problems that you have in your life. See what's going on. Let's do the therapy first, naturally, not go into any like, you know, uh, antidepressants yet. And sometimes I actually do help them without the medication a lot. The therapy just helps alone. But then you have those clients that struggle, right? And struggle even more and struggle more. And I give it usually like I tell clients, hey, whatever you're comfortable with, this is your life. These are your choices. I say my recommendation, six months of therapy to a year. If after a year, you're not, there's no uh, change, you know, we do the CBT. Uh, You know, I'm trained in DBT as well, dialectical behavioral therapy. We can do a little bit of that. But DBT is a whole nother story. That stuff is, yeah. co- is a complicated because uh, yeah. you got to do the group therapy and the uh, That's real. individual therapy. That's some real hardcore therapy, DBT. But CBT is like the cousin of DBT a little bit, cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm. 
And I feel like the CBT works uh, pretty well a lot of times. But, you know, me as a therapist, I'm very uh, dynamic in my ways. So I um, I incorporate all different types of um, therapeutic interventions into the work with people. Like I'll take a humanistic approach, you know, Carl Rogers, all that stuff, the CBT approach. I'll take like, um, you know, existential approach, talking about life and death and stuff like that and meaningfulness, which I think is actually a topic that we should touch on is the idea of meaningfulness in people's lives, because I feel like that's an important topic. For sure. But going back to what I was talking about with the antidepressant pills is that I've noticed that like, okay, I'll work with a client. This happens quite frequently for like a year, about a year or six months. And then they'll decide, okay, like, you know, the therapy alone isn't working. So then they get on the anti antidepressants, right? And then I noticed this sudden shift and it's like, um, it's like kind of like to me, metaphorically speaking, like I said, it's kind of like a, like a, like, <laughs> like it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. You ever seen like one of those movies, like, uh, like a star Wars movies and they're going through the hole and the holes like closing yeah. and then they just make it into that hole. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like that's like kind of like what it kind of is like, like this whole like depression is like the medication's closing yeah. it, but you got to get through that hole <laughs> to the other side. And then you're in this realm of like more optimistic thinking, like, or just neutral thinking. Yeah. You're coming out of that pessimistic uh, part into a different galaxy mm. of like optimistic and more neutral thought patterns mm. and i noticed and you that. feel like that happens within uh, one session to the next uh it's it's pretty quite frequent if they taking the medication really? frequently so like i noticed okay. that like um every time i work with a client and they're on the antidepressants they do feel the sense of numbness but i notice them they when they when we talk about their lives and their situations in the beginning when i first wa- worked with them without the antidepressants yeah. They're sounding so pessimistic. Mm. Like depression makes people. I don't know. I don't know. And it's an interesting theory to think about too. Like does does depression cause pessimism or does pessimism cause depression? Right. And that, that's that's like a really interesting sort mm. of uh, thing to like try to like pinpoint. It's like what what causes the other? You know, is, pe- is it pessimistic thinking that causes depression or is it depression that causes pessimistic right. thinking? You know, it's kind of like that whole nature versus nurture debate type of thing. Right. Which I think, one came first? Uh, the, well, I mean, not, the, in terms of the. The thinking or the depression? Well, I think I personally feel like it's the thinking. Uh, Because then, like, once the medication comes into play, their thinking changes, and then their ways of being kind of change. Like, their behaviors change. So it's their thought processes, you know? And I think that, like, when I work with the individual, and now the individual on medication, they're more, like, zombie-like. Like, yeah, Yeah. like, you know, today was not that bad. It wasn't good either. I'm like, okay, now this is where I have to pull the strings and do the work. Like, okay, well, now that you're actually not saying like, oh, today was like the worst day ever or my life is a piece of shit and so meaningless. Now you're actually saying that your day was actually pretty, pretty okay. So now you're thinking more like on a neutral standpoint. You're not thinking like, oh, it was the greatest day, but, you know, and that's like my string pulling. I feel like that's when I start pulling the strings out of the client. Like, okay, like. Now let's start thinking a little bit more optimistically or how can you reframe, you know, your, your thoughts into more optimistic thoughts. And it's like the medication is like a, it's like a supplement to that, to that yeah. way of thinking, like to be more optimistic about have things. Have you ever, exp- have you ever had someone come off the medications? Yeah. Yeah, of After. course. Uh, I definitely won't like, so, you know, obviously there's all different types of disorders, right? Yeah. So like a depressive disorder is different than a bipolar disorder. And that's the important reason to distinguish the two. I would never tell someone or even I don't I, I can't make any medication claims right. like I'm not recommending people get off their meds. But I do know for a fact, I think bipolar people that that people diagnosed with bipolar yeah. need the medication because right. I I've seen clients go off the medication and it just doesn't end well. Um, but uh, 
when it goes to the depression stuff, yeah. yes, I've seen people with like a, like a major depressive disorder or like, um, uh, what's the other one? Yeah, major depressive disorder or, um, oh my God, what was the other disorder called? It's like, um, it's not mild form of depression, but it was like a longer lasting one. I can't remember the name on top of my head, but um, like those disorders, I've seen people come off the meds and anxiety disorders as well. People come off the meds. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it feels like a sense of accomplishment. And then obviously I do follow up, you know, year like a year or two later just to see and how they're doing and they seem to be doing typically usually most of the time better and okay with their anxieties and depression mm. here's my thing with um medications and depressions and i think like you said there are some mental illness there are some diagnosed depression bipolar and other um things in the dsm-5 and and, and in the field of of um, psychopathology where, you know, you get medicated for, yeah. right? I feel that in modern day, a lot of times, uh, we, we, there's, depression is in the spectrum. And I feel like sometimes, um, and I think anxiety as well. And yeah. I think, I feel like sometimes in modern day, um, like you were saying, like the thinking of depression, I feel like sometimes we think ourselves into depression, um, and you know i'm i'm a, i'm also an advocate for um medications as well mm-hmm. i just think people should be very wary um of what level of depression they're in or what level yeah. of anxiety or what level cuz i feel like we all naturally have feelings and we all naturally emote and we all naturally are down one day and up the next and anxious one day and, and not anxious and i feel that in modern day um, especially with the new generation, um, you know, where we're teaching them more to just cope, cope, cope and not learn, you know, how to feel better naturally or learn how to take charge um, of our brains and our bodies and, you know, eat healthier and, and have more sleep and um, have better activities and, um, you know, set boundaries. So like the actual work of the therapy before, um, the medications and i think it should i mean, i think that should be a conversation in like kindergarten and, and early on and, and you know i think this is part of my like my school counseling thing where i felt that you know i was meeting i, I would work with high schools and you know it was up until high school of when i was you know having these conversations with students about their brains and how their brains work right like nobody has taught them about their brains yeah. and and they you know, you, you're you're taught um, history, you're taught math, you're taught all these things, but who is there to teach us about depression? Who is there to teach us about anxiety? Who is there to, you know, help us cope in healthy ways, right? So I think that a lot of times, yes, I, 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 I'm, I, I truly believe that the medications help, but, you know, I, I'm a big believer that um, in modern day, mostly, um, you know, we have to kind of like push through a little bit of some of those things. Yeah. Uh, what, what are they what are they introducing in schools? Isn't it ESL, emotional social learning? Isn't that what uh, they implement kind of? Because um, I, I work with a lot of teachers. Social emotional learning. Social emotional, SEL. SEL. Social emotional learning. Yeah. So like I, I know like because I work with a lot of teachers and, you know, they uh, told me about things like that. SEL. So it's happening. It's happening yeah. a lot more. Incorporating uh, that into schools. It's happening a lot yeah. more. Um, it's happening uh, especially after the pandemic. Yeah, it went, it went exponentially. 
Um, oh, yeah. And it's, yeah, they're getting the classroom. Like, let me not, like, the throat shade, like, nothing's happening. Um, there yeah. is some change happening, mm-hmm. um, definitely, but I think that is just the beginning. Yeah, because, like, also, like, you know, what's interesting about the school, the whole school, um, uh, you know, program is that I think, like, if you look at the history of school, right, like, uh, if you go back to, like, the 19, uh, what was it, 50, 1940s, school was meant to uh, teach people c- civic duties, like, right. how to be a civic person, like, how to right. be a civil, uh, uh, you know, a, a law-abiding citizen. You know, that that was the point of school. Like, yeah. it was basically to do that. Um, and then it became, like, a whole different uh, program. Like, oh, now it's just teach them how to, yeah. you know, understand these math problems and history and stuff like that and then it became a whole educational thing and like now i think we're kind of going back to that whole civic type of you know uh mentality of teaching kids how to be like you know a a law-abiding citizen how to understand more now their emotional uh patterns and their own well and their own mental health and things like that yeah i I noticed that i i feel like um because of the internet because of apps because of social media I feel like school is on is on the computer now. School's <laughs> like, it's, I mean, I'm sorry, it's yeah. on the phone now. And oh, it, even yeah. this is before 2020, like I feel like yeah, school in the sense of sociability <laughs> and um, how these people are beginning to uh, students into adulting. You know, how are they like? How are they thinking? I think is coming a lot more from phones and the internet mm. more so than schools and teachers. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. right. And video and, and you know video games too and stuff like you yeah. know it's funny when you see these kids doing those like Fortnite dances and stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, kind of like it's like a little corny, but yeah, it's funny though. So with that, you know, I do feel and I like I said in the first episode, I feel like a lot of uh, people in this generation, the younger generation, um, they're looking up to. The social media influencers. They're looking up to the gurus. Gurus. Right? There we go. The gurus. Yeah, they're looking up to Mr. the gurus. Mr. Um, Mikey Too Hotty Scotty, right? Like- <laughs> yeah. So, and they're looking for the, these people for guidance. Um, and they're doing Insta therapy and a lot of these other things. So I think it's, I don't know. I think it's, it's going to be an interesting set of years to come. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Like, you know, these kids are learning from all that stuff. But interesting, though, with the school system and stuff. But yeah, it's good that they're implementing the SEL stuff and, uh, yeah. You know, trying to, like, understand mental health. But I always say that, you know, teaching a college class, like, these kids come in, uh, you know, freshman psych 101 classes, like, not having any idea, like, what the mm-hmm. fuck they learned in high school and how to fucking write an essay. Like, come on, bro. Like, get your fucking hey. essay skills up. Sorry I'm talking shit about my students, but come on, man. Y'all got to freaking get it get it going. Go, go read more books or something. Stop being on social media and, like, you know, I think, learning I think school is outdated. Yeah, yeah, it is a little outdated. But I mean, like you know, like at least learn how to write a like an essay properly and use proper grammar and, and your True. spelling and your writing. Because I, I, I don't know, there. there is value there. Yeah, of course, there's like, power there as well. Oh yeah, if you're trying to like write something powerful, like you know, mo- motivational manifestations, manifestations right. like you gotta learn how to write well and read. Definitely, read definitely. The reading is always going to be important. I feel like. You know, you yeah. gotta you gotta understand how to read. Like, yeah. you know, that's always gonna be an important uh, skill to have in life. You know, is to know how to read and comprehend. Right. Not just read, but also to comprehend what you're reading. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I always tell parents like when I work with like you know kids like five, six, seven year olds like when they read them uh you know like bedtime stories and stuff like that to like instead of like re- just reading them the story like tell them like oh um 
you know, uh, what do you think is going to happen next? Mm -hmm. Or how do you think this character is feeling? Right. You know, like empowering, you know, you can, right, right. you know, there's so much empowerment behind questioning, you know, questions like the, qu the concept of a question itself is like, it's very empowering. You know, it's right. like if you constantly question your child, like what he's feeling, what, how did, how was school? Uh, what do you think is going to happen in, in the story next? Or what do you, you know, that seeps into a child's imagination and, you know, allows them to really fluctuate, you know, that's funny. I, I always tell people like the reason I like to work with people who are 23 and under mm -hmm. 14 to 23 mm -hmm. is because they still question. Mm. Once you become an adult, you think you know it all. Mm. You think your flow is the only way to go. And, you know, you have an ego, you have pride behind it. Um, and that's why I don't really work with adults. Because <laughs> you guys just stuck. Oh. And it's, you know, it's, and it's a, it, it'll take a lot for me to, you know, support you and myself keep, you know, myself balanced and not feel frustrated. Oh, yeah. um, but, you know, the... The youth, fourteen to twenty-three, they're asking questions. They're asking questions. They're they're, yeah. they're they they want to learn. They want to analyze. They want to comprehend. They want to they want to feel what you're feeling. You know, it's 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 still they're still pure in a sense, they're right? Learning, yeah. And you know, I think that that's the reason why you know I I enjoy it so much because they still ask questions and are, and are willing to learn. They have like a sense of novelty, you know, that's like. But some of them, not a lot of them, some of them lose that novelty, which is a problem. Yeah. I feel like that's what I, that's that's typically the type of like adolescent clients I would get in is like, you know, parents saying like, oh, I don't think my son is motivated enough or wants to learn. And I'm just there like, well, <laughs> you know, you got to like, what are you doing? You know, yeah. as a parent, are you questioning them about yeah. things? Are you trying to like motivate them to do better and, and stuff? And sort of like connecting that because to our first conversation with the research study, mm -hmm. right? And that's what we kind of do, right? Like, we kind of sat here and we questioned it a little bit, right? And yeah. we try to, like, you know, dissect it mm. and doing all the things. You know, it was, I remember it was my second year of college, and I had a professor, and he was, like, the best professor I ever had. Mm -hmm. And we I don't even think we really even learned anything. But he just <laughs> went up there, and, like, he made a statement, and then he just began to question and question and question and question. And I just mm. the way I mean, this guy was just so casual. Was, he just like rolled up, you know. This is a big black dude. He just rolled up, you know. Like you can see, like, like kind yeah, of like smoked a blunt before he came to class. Smoked a blunt, you know? came to like I don't put his class. Name out there, he was, like smacked. Yeah, <laughs> and he would just sit there. And this was, and for me, I was like, yo, this is the smartest <laughs> guy I've met in like my 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 whole time in in academia. Yeah. And I took two more, more classes with him. He did the same thing. He just sat there. He made, like, a statement, and he just started questioning and questioning. And he would, like, mm. agitate some people. And, he, you know, he, he'll get into debates, and he'll do all these things. Mm. And he'll kind of, like, never be wrong because he's not really seen anything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, so that he actually beautiful. helped me with that, like, being, like, impartial about things mm. and kind of taking the step back and just mm. observing and not really taking a position and, you know, accepting the fact that, you know, either or is subjectivity. And he's the one who really taught me about subjectivity and objectivity. Oh, really? Um, yeah, that's, that's like an important uh, concept. You know? 100%. Like, like I, I, I learned the concept of subjectivity and objectivity when I was like an undergrad, but like like three years into my undergrad studies. And I, sh I feel like I should have known that. <laughs> 
from like the beginning. So just yeah. for you guys that don't know, like the difference between subjectivity and objectivity is that something that that's subjective is more based on like opinion or like more based. That's not like not, not based on fact, right? Objective personal objectivity. Experience. Yeah. And per subjectivity is also based on personal experience. Objectivity is more based on fact, like, uh, like two plus two equals four. Is, but then, it? but then, someone can argue that that's, <laughs> that can be subjective, right? right? Because it's our personal experience as humans that we're able to calculate things. Right. Like a dog can't calculate two plus two equals four. Right. A turtle can't fucking say like. Dog, six what plus if a dog six says twenty two? Is the dog wrong or are we wrong? Yeah. Exactly, and like even it goes to the point of like even like our senses, right? Like yeah. we all sense like as an, all animals sense the world differently, right? Definitely. So are we really seeing the world for what it is, mm. or are we just like? seeing it because our senses allow us to see it this way right like what does a dog see what does a snake a snake sees things in like thermal vision they have like these uh receptors in their eyes that create thermal output mm -hmm. and it, that's what their brain sees just heat and and you know nothing else really it's like a cold world yeah. snake and like you know um other animals are you know just see the world differently so it's it like i i always say like as a you know through my philosophy and teaching that I really believe that our lives are so subjective that the world itself is just a subjective world. Like yeah. it isn't what it is that we see it. There's more to it than you think. I think so. You know? I think we're just subjective in our own senses. And then when we come together, it becomes objective in ways. Yeah. Like the buildings that we see in the city, like those yeah. were built or there. Right. But like, you know, we, they're there because we built them. <laughs> like, yeah. It's 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 a pretty interesting topic, you know. It's um goes into all like how to how does sensory information work, and I always love hitting that chapter in, in Psych One Hundred One. I think it's typically like usually like chapter two or three where it's like sensory, um, sen yeah, sensory um, topics like how your vision works, how your sense of taste works, how your sense of hearing works, and it's just so many interesting facts within that. Like, you know, another question if I were to ask you or the audience, like, you know, um. What which sense of ours do you think is the fastest processing? Like our hearing, our seeing. Like, what do you think is processes information the fastest? Uh, the fastest, um, I feel like it's just one. But that's just me. <laughs> I just feel like it's the fastest processing. Sense I feel like our our, our sense. sense comes from our gut. Our um, gut. <laughs> yeah, like oh, yeah. No, in a weird, in a weird metaphysical way. Like mm. I feel like our gut has like a more um mm. interdimensional uh sphere like that intuitive feeling I exactly guess, intuition right like even if let's say i don't know i don't want to say this but like let's say someone's coming to rob us right now right like yeah. none of our physical senses we can't see we can't hear we can't taste and we can't smell but them, then you but there's that gut, gut that's feeling, like yo something just doesn't feel right and then someone comes in with a gun, boom, boom, let me get that chain, boy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, but I, that's what I'm, a, I'm a believer in that. I believe we're like a trifecta. Our gut mm, is our first so one. Our heart is then our our the ones to like feed it, and then our brain's the one to conceptualize it. Mm. Um, so well, I, I was, I was actually talking more on the on the idea of our physical senses, like our sense of hearing or our sense of seeing. What's smell. the difference? Uh, you're right. I don't know, <laughs> but I think the intuitive thing is more psychological. Yeah. Like, and intu intuition is actually a strong basis within personality. In that, mm. like, some people are more intuitive than others. Mm. So some people are more able to like. The, the people who are actually more intuitive than others have more of a mindset where they're constantly thinking about like the future. Mm. Like they're constantly thinking, well, what if this happens? Like almost as if like they're kind of neurotic, mm. but they're, 
but that builds up on their intuition because they're always on edge. They're always like thinking like, hello, Oh, what's, what's going to happen next? Or, <laughs> Oh, someone behind me. Am I going to get attacked? And then like, you know, like that kind of like, it, it's kind of like, um, exercises that sort of mm. intuition to some, some extent. But I was talking about more like seeing, hearing, tasting, yeah. um, that type of stuff. But our, what's known to be our fastest processing sense on the science today, yeah. who knows it may change later down the road right. is our sense of hearing, right? Hearing? Like you ever seen a, a thunder, you know, when now they like, well, in the summer season thunder happens mm. and then, um, you hear, it. you hear it first and then, well, I think you, see it you see the flash, oh. but then you, you hear it because the flash is so far. Yeah. You can see the flash, but then the sound travels mm-hmm. and then once it hits you, you, you hear it like, but it's weird. I, I, I I think it is the hearing sense. I have to let me look that up. Actually, fastest sense. So hearing. Let me see. When when you were speaking of senses and metaphysical and all this astronomical stuff, when you were mentioning like that breaking point of your clients getting the breakthrough um, after taking medications, mm-hmm. right? That sounded a lot like psychedelics, like the like. I'm sorry, could you repeat you that? You said that when you were doing the whole, whole thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, there was this breaking point where uh, then they just start to see things that are more out wow. the, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. That actually. sounded a lot like psychedelics. Yeah, like, that's, that's what psychedelics does. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, you, you ever you ever tripped on shrooms before? <laughs> All right. All right. Well, if you don't want <laughs> to talk about that, that's fine. But, you know, now another episode. Yeah. Another episode. Yeah. So, like, you know, uh, with shrooms, I think that's what it makes you do. And also acid. I think acid also when people like people have told me that they're acid trips and they tell me like they freaking feel like more stable afterwards almost sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard that quite frequently. And I'm just like, OK, well, that's pretty cool. I'll, I'll never do acid. I think that's too much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. But, um, but so there's, yeah. there's a whole where I mean, here in the Americas is not funded yet, obviously. Yeah. Um, but in Europe, there is a lot of, uh, legal research that's being done with psychedelics. Mm. Um, I know we both follow some guy on Instagram. I forgot his name, Paul something. Mm. Um, and you know, he's one of the leading guys in, in that realm and mm. they're finding like, there are studies that are showing results. Oh, is he the old white guy? Yeah. With the, the, okay. With okay. The beard yeah. yeah with the beard. Yeah. 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 yeah I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah. And talking you know, there again, this research is studies, but they're, they're, I'm not trying to be ageist by the way, when I said the old white guy, <laughs> but like, yeah. it's just like, you know, I just, I just, uh, that's how I identify people. Right. Sometimes like that, you know? Yeah. And, and it's, you know, they're doing it in combination with therapy as well. So it's not just like, yo, go out to the, to the woods and go trip is like, you know, you're micro dosing and then you're having therapy sessions as well. Um, and it's just, it's giving you again, that ability to take a step back or, you know, you perceive things differently and kind that's, of, that's actually through. really crazy. Cause I had a client, it was this, uh, 21 year old client and he was basically using acid mm-hmm. and he would come to the sessions and he'll tell me like, like, you know, and it was interesting to like, see his like change in his like demeanor and stuff because like he was uh, pretty anxious and depressed and that's why he was in therapy. And then like, you know, he started, I guess, you know, the self-medication and stuff like that. And, you know, he started taking acid and whatnot. And he told me like when he would take it, like how it would affect him, mm-hmm. you know, like it would make him, he said that he told me his experience was that he sees things way more clear now. Mm. And like when he, when he was on the acid trip, he just felt like everything is clear. Like everything just becomes brighter and clear. And like, it's like a trip, you know? And like, 
But then afterwards, he says that that sense of clarity kind of like stuck with him a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And, you know, he did pretty pretty well afterwards and i was actually surprised you know like I, he didn't he wasn't really as anxious or depressed you know but i don't know i never followed up with him long term so i don't know how that affected him in the long term but in that moment he was doing really well yeah with that i mean it's something worth talking about further because uh, you know there's also the downsides to it as well oh yeah like if you have so, a bad acid trip yeah. or like a bad trip yeah that right. can be a negative thing so right. you know but i think he told me that he was like microdosing or something yeah and um, it was an interesting, uh, interesting case. But um, so I did look up the fastest sense and it is hearing. So I was correct. OK. <laughs> so our other senses react at different speeds, though. Hearing is much faster with a time resolution of just three milliseconds. But touch can only manage 50 milliseconds. Smell and taste are the slowest and can take more than a second to react to a new sensation. So that's, that's just a little fun fact. You know, hearing um, is your fastest processing sense of human body. And actually, an interesting thing also is that supposedly when people die, their last sense to go is their sense of hearing. Really? Yeah. I'm going to hear you, motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the fucking students that gave me that fucking six months. Rate my professor score. Uh, I'm staying stay around for six months. So eat though. Right? <laughs> I'm going to hear you. <laughs> Yeah, but not, but um, that's that's what it um, what it is though. So yeah, that's that's an interesting topic. But yeah. yeah, I guess like with the whole situation with um, you know, going back to the whole article and stuff with uh, you know, chemical imbalances and things like that. You know, I think it has a lot to do with our experiences. You know, I think um, working with people with depression, I noticed that their life circumstances typically sometimes aren't the healthiest or the greatest in terms of relationships. Um you know, past traumas, uh, and their life experiences. You know, I've never had somebody really come in all depressed and their life was like, there was nothing wrong with their life, you know, like, or right. like the way or their perception of it, you know, right. their perception of their life. So, you know, it's just like, you know, the whole chemical imbalance thing, it could be that, you know, because I do recognize that some people who do suffer from depression, you know, it's like, it's like a, it's like a hard, stubborn sort of depression to like help, you know, and I've witnessed that. But, like, the medication has definitely helped uh, some of those people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, the antidepressants. So they've helped a few people in combination with the therapy. But, yeah. I I don't know. I think this, this is probably a little too late for us in this episode. Mm -hmm. But I think um, also, you know, I think it's important to, for people to do more research and think about cannabis use as an antidepressant oh, right? yeah. because I feel like it's it has been used as an antidepressant um, where I'm not sure if it's serotonin, I'm not sure if it's dopamine I'm not sure, it's probably all chemicals um, uh, that kind of get skewed when you know we smoke cannabis and then you know we're feeling better, we're not, we're feeling, not feeling as depressed right? Um, mm. I'm not sure if there's any realm of uh, psychotherapy in combination with cannabis. Mm, I, I mean, even you know, I've I've worked with clients who smoke. Like, it's actually crazy when you think about it. Like, um, <laughs> you know, like we growing up as a kid, I always thought teachers were angels. You know, like yeah. they didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. 
But then as an adult, <laughs> I got teacher friends. They're the number one. And they over there in the club, in the bathroom, doing a line of coke oh, and like yeah. <laughs> getting crazy. And they got to teach the next day and stuff. <laughs> like, it's a it's a fucking crazy world right now that, you know, working with adults, that's what you, you kind of get into. I mean, I'm not talking for every teacher, everybody, yeah. but there are those, you know, few people that live a lifestyle like that right. where, you know, and they smoke weed. They go home probably like can't wait to get home and light up a J or light up a bowl or whatever and, you know, hit hit the bowl and, and relax, you know. Um, and I work with all types of professional people that. Uh, smoke weed, you know, and you'd be surprised by how many people actually do smoke weed. Um, well, I was, you know, like working in the field with adults, like I'm actually surprised, like all these people who smoke weed and they're like, you know, doing these all these high end professional jobs. So, you know, I, I think like when it comes to weed smoking, there isn't any sort of like, I, I don't see any problem really, maybe in the long term, uh, maybe it'll affect people's minds in the long term. But then, you know, it's crazy because like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's interesting. Cause I know like older clients, like I think the oldest client I've ever worked with was probably like 68 years old mm-hmm. and like he was smoking weed his whole life and he's freaking still there. You know yeah. what I mean? So I, I, I just think all drugs affect everybody differently. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. Sure. Like, like some people are actually really horrible with weed. Like I've had yeah. cases where kids like a 17 year old smoke weed and they had a crazy panic attack. Yeah. They had crazy anxiety and it took like months to calm that anxiety down and alleviate it, yeah. you know, and, and I've had kids who smoke weed every day and they're just like perfectly fine. And it's right. like crazy. It's like, okay. And you're still getting your work done. You're still getting your homework done. You're still doing all the things you got to do. Same thing with adults. They're still getting their work done. There's, you know, they just go home and just hit a blunt or whatever and just enjoy it. Right. Um, so I, I don't, I, I think people tend to use marijuana too as a, coping mechanism from stress right so it's kind of like a stress reliever for some people and um i guess short term it's probably a good thing but you know once again the long term how does it affect your memory how does it affect all these other things your your biology your sex drive all these things and i think it affects everybody differently yeah so i don't think there's like you know what i mean like yeah, everyone's affected by it differently yeah. that's the that's the, and that kind of sucks cuz then you won't ever know like what it's doing to you, right? Like, because everyone's affected by it differently. Yeah. My thing my thing with cannabis and weed and the way people use it sometimes is when you use it to cope and not push you through whatever you're coping mm-hmm. with. Like, just a way to, just to use it as an escape. Right. From something that you have to face, face and heal and go to therapy and work on. Mm-hmm. And I think it gives you an outlet to not do the work. I think it pacifies... Um, a user and it, I think it just you know makes things f- feel good for the time being um, and then you know just you were able to put up with it a little bit and then until the next time you smoke and then you cope again mm-hmm. so I think that I think it's, I see it especially in our culture where it's overused to the extent that it's not pushing you and people are like oh we makes me inspires me yeah it might make you more creative in your head mm-hmm. but what are you doing in your with in, in your real life in your body right and what what movements are you, what behavior are you doing, right? I think it's becomes this just kind of like coping mechanism. It's just like, all right, I'm sad and like I'm a smoke or I'm happy I'm a smoke. I'm a smoke. So in the in a point where, all right, so why are you sad, right? Like let's, let's tackle that a little bit. Let's talk about that. Let's try to work on that reason. Like it's a financial, is it, is it family things going on? Is it your own personal traumas that you're kind of dealing with, right? And I think, 
I think that's the thing I have with with cannabis so much that it's just pacifying a lot of people and it's not pushing you to push yeah. through that little anxiety. Like I was saying before, like I feel like everyone has like a little anxiety and a little bit of stress. And, you know, I think, like, we need to, like, kind of, like, push through those a little bit sometimes. It basically kind of makes you just feel lazy. Like, you just want to, like, lay back and just chill out, watch a movie, play a video game. Or, like, just like Yeah, I mean, sometimes, yeah. It makes you, it kind of can, it can lead to unproductivity. Like, it can make right. you unproductive for, for some, you know, ev- like, like I said, everyone gets affected by weed j- differently. I know people who smoke weed who do tons of work right. and can only work on it. I know people who cannot work on it. Like right. who can't like I if I smoke that's it. I'm out for the day. Like I'm um, that's that's why you know and I, and I and I that's what I ask when I work with people. I ask them I'm like, "Okay, like when you smoke, how do you feel? What does it make you do?" right? So then I tell people like, "Are you the type that's better to sm- if you're smoking, you have this smoking habit, mm-hmm. you know, are you better to smoke in the daytime or are you better to smoke in the nighttime?" And I think that's a big concept too. And it also depends also, are you smoking like sativa or are you smoking like an indica, right? Like, so there's always like the differences and there's so many factors to consider within it all. But typically if somebody's more productive when they're high, Hey, you know, why, why not take a, take a toke in the morning if it gets you to go through your day more effectively. Right. right? Um, but if you're somebody that it makes you so fucking lazy that you can't, that you just want to lay back and not do anything. Then maybe smoking at night would probably be the best option. Therefore you could be productive throughout your day. And then that would be like your nice little reward or whatever, yeah. you know, and no one's ever going to really like stop until like a life circumstance happens that they need to stop, mm-hmm. you know? And that's another thing. That's why I don't think it's like a addict, uh, an addiction for a lot of people. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can, you can stop it without having like, the addictive side effects for some people like everyone's different right that's the crazy part so i can't even generalize that yeah and there's so many different reasons to smoke too yeah you know, i smoke socially my supposed yeah. to die my so you just want to smoke you know yeah but <laughs> so. if you're doing it every day then I, I always tell people if you're doing it every day that's something to like try to like think about right like mm-hmm. okay am i being productive am i doing things that i have to get done mm-hmm. if i'm smoking it every day and i challenge people to think about that and i challenge their biases and their beliefs about smoking like I know, I understand smoking is probably great. It helps a lot, but like, you know, with your stress, but what are you doing? Like you said, like, what are you doing? Right. Are you being productive or are you like just sitting on the couch, like letting time go by? Yeah. yeah. Interesting, interesting topic though. Yeah. Now I feel like we covered a lot. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, it all stems from that article, which is crazy, you know, like yeah. all about depression and stuff like that. But um, definitely for today's episode, um, this is what we talked about. So we did talk about, a whole ton of stuff. Yeah. You guys probably got a lot of knowledge within just this one episode about so many Hopefully. things. Um, I Hopefully think it's useful. Yeah, yeah. no, nah, it is. <laughs> I think it is, man. We're talking about your fastest hearing sense, your, yeah. your, your, you know, cannabis use, uh, anti psych, antidepressant pills and chemical imbalances. Uh, we learned about research studies about how to analyze some of the meta analysis, umbrella studies. We talked about all that. Oh yeah. We talked, we covered a lot of things today and it was awesome. But anyway, so, yeah, we're going to end it here. Um, Tune in uh, next week for the next episode, and we'll leave it here, all right? All right. All right, take care, everybody. Bye. Peace.